Hey, Blake from Launch Notes here. Thanks so much for checking out the Launch Notes podcast. Today's podcast features a recording of a recent AMA we hosted in the Launch Awesome community. To join a future AMA, including getting your own questions answered by industry experts, join our free Launch Awesome Slack community. You'll find a link in the show notes or just do a quick search for Launch Awesome and it'll come right up. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. Cool. Uh, let's get this thing kicked off. Um, just want to say good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this month's uh, Launch Awesome AMA. I'm Steve Klein. Uh, I'm the head of the Launch Awesome community. And today I'm joined by Matt O'Connell, who is the founder and CEO of Vistily. Today, Matt and I are going to be talking about letting product strategy drive your roadmap. Uh, but first, I just want to give you a quick reminder. Um, members of this Launch Awesome community get to hear about events like what we're doing today first. Um, Launch Awesome is a, it's a Slack community for product managers and product marketers to connect, learn from each other. Uh, we have about 300 of the best in product and product marketing. Uh, so if you want to join, Blake's actually going to drop a link to that in the chat, and we'd love to have you. Um, as we're talking uh, and you know, anything that's kind of coming up for you, if you want to submit a question, you can kind of drop it into the chat uh, and we'll kind of keep an eye on those and circle back to them probably around the end. Um, cool. Let's get into it. Uh, Matt, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks, Steve, for having me. Uh, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, dude. Um, okay. Let's kind of start at the beginning. So your current company, Vistily, helps companies do a lot of the stuff we're about to talk about. Um, and a big part of your reason for building it was was based on some previous experiences you've had. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I've worked for several Fortune 500 companies in more of a consulting capacity um, on embedded teams and even on like separate little teams that we went into like augment some of their innovation projects. And um, you see, you get to see a lot of org structure and how teams uh, uh, schedule work and how they how they innovate. Um, so I got to do that repeatedly across multiple different companies that I worked with. Um, so that was that was a, a fascinating experience. And then I got into the startup world and um, really wanted to dive deeper into product. Ended up uh, becoming director of software engineering at a a local startup here in Virginia, and um, you start to you see you still see a lot of the same things. Like you see um, how companies are um, structuring the roadmaps, how who has input into those roadmaps, and how does the work come out the other end. And I just found that whole process extremely fascinating. How do we how do we optimize that? How do we let team members um, contribute to that process and innovate uh, together? So. Yeah, we're we're working on improving those efficiencies and helping teams innovate more effectively. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are still working in some of those, like you know, like this top-down kind of command and control, not really empowered teams. Um, tell me about how, like, how do you think we like? How did we get here? So many teams are in this same position, and a lot of designers, developers, even product managers are feeling like they're not really empowered. Like, why? Why is that such a common? kind of like failure mode of product teams? Yeah, um, I mean, I think there's several reasons that you can end up there. Um, you know, I think a lot of it's well-intentioned. You you have a lot of people who, who you, you kind of understand the problem well enough and you immediately want to jump to solutions. Um, like this is going to solve that problem or maybe maybe this will. 
And you start to get into this game of like, all right, well, if we just start building a lot of things, you know, the first ideas that come to our mind, maybe you have a pet project from someone on the C-suite um, or um, maybe something that your most recent customer was complaining about sparked an idea. If you just start throwing all those ideas into a backlog and then just systematically trying to prioritize it and knock them off one at a time, um, you're going to end up in this in this space where you're just um, shipping features and you're trying to um, create efficiencies around how do we just ship fe features faster. But the question there is like, are you really solving your customers' problems or are you creating business value? Right. Yeah, for sure. That you'd mentioned, you know, listening to the customers. That doesn't sound so bad. What's so uh, what's so bad about just listening to your your customers? Oh, just like like you're saying, like listening to like, uh, hey, I would really like you to build this thing for me. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I mean, there's a couple things there. Um, often, I think you'd be surprised. Like, if you, when you come up with ideas and solutions, you think that it's the right right way to approach it. Um, oftentimes, we're wrong. <laughs> Like your ideas might be wrong. Your customers' ideas, they, they may be wrong. However, they're rooted in truths, right? So there's still like people think that there's um, that this will solve their problem. But if you start to like work backwards a little bit and start to uncover, well, why, why do you think that this solution um, will solve that problem? You start to really build a, a clearer picture around what you want to do. Um, also, you run into this problem where um, if you're building what a specific customers are asking for, you're building for that customer. So right. you want to look across the board at, at more than just small little pockets of your user base and try to identify solutions that are going to solve more problems for, for more of your customers. Yeah. So you're saying, Hey, you know, th that is good. We'll, we'll actually talk about that a lot more. Uh, but if you don't take a step back, you might end up with this product that, you know, you got a lot, you have a lot of features that work really well for maybe that customer that requested it and that customer that requested it, but so, backing up to, yeah. So gotcha. many, so many feature toggles. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So, okay. Well, yeah, let's, let's kind of, let's talk about this other case then. Like what, what does good look like? What are, what are the best companies doing? How do they prioritize work? So, um, yeah, so we'll we'll take a look at like one scenario. So focusing on um, outcomes, you might hear that a lot. Outcomes over output. Mm -hmm. but what does that mean? Well, that means like what? Let's focus on what the change that we're trying to create. The change in either human behavior or the positive change for the business that you're trying to create. And by starting there, you can You can like pragmatically walk your way. Uh, closer to solutions that will work for you. So, and that and that that comes by pulling some of your data and in, uh, from your systems, studying user behavior, uh, uh, usage patterns, and talking to your customers, like actually asking them, like, hey, you know, how you know, like, describe this pain point for me a little more. Why is this a pain point for you? And really starting to to build this mental model around your users um, that you can work with. Right. Yeah, it's, it sounds like you're kind of describing instead of instead of just focusing on the outputs, how much are we shipping? 
starting to think about it more from this perspective of like, what are, what are the outcomes that we want to drive? Um, right. Yeah. And that's like one of the things, like if you're, <laughs> if you're measuring, um, uh, these kind of proxy metrics, this idea of, uh, you let, we ship 32 features this month. Okay, great. Cool. But how much value did you create this month? Um, by just focusing on how much work you're doing, that does not immediately convert into value. So shifting that focus, it's, it's hard, it can be hard to do, but shifting that focus towards, you know, what is the value that we can create is an important right. one. Right. Yeah, no, that totally resonates. And I feel like one thing that's kind of indicative of that is a lot of times product teams can't even really articulate, like, is what we shipped successful? Um, because I've, I, I think a lot of times people feel like, yeah, well, yeah, it's, we got it out on time. It's successful, but that's, that's not the right way of looking at it. Um, yeah. And then like, just one more quick thing to add on to that. Um, so, you know, shipping and then moving on is I think another problem, right? So you ship, your users are going to be using that, those new features or those new products, but is it working? So we need the space to be able to take a look at that, let some, let a little bit of time pass, talk to our users about it and iterate. If you're just moving on to the, uh, continuously moving on to the next feature without reflecting on the one that you just shipped, um, you may not have created enough value for that thing, to, that feature to even um, yeah, be valuable. Right, yeah, totally. Okay, okay, so we're gonna move from, from this output uh, driven approach to this outcome driven approach. Talk to me about, talk to me about outcomes. Like what are, what are the different kind of outcomes? Like, what does it even mean to think about, um, you right. know, starting from an outcome bit perspective? So, um, so, so one, one of the popular frameworks out there are OKRs, um, teams will set those and, um, and then start to innovate from there. Um, mm -hmm. they, we'll talk about the, the outcome part. That's like the actual key result. It's the uh, quantitative measurement of um, change. So uh, what you're going to see often, or what I mean, I, what I see often is business style outcomes. Those are the like, let's um, increase acquisitions, um, increase conversions, mm -hmm. um, increase retention, uh, you know, or reduce churn. Those are, mm -hmm. those are the big outcomes that you want to see for your business. Um, and they demonstrate, you know, that you have traction, your customers are engaged with your product. Uh, but the, the question then is like, okay, well now what, um, you need a, this is, this is solution discovery. So now you need to figure out how do we move from this business outcome to something that's more manageable? So product outcomes is a term that you'll hear. Teresa Torres talks a lot about this. So mm -hmm. breaking down your business outcomes into product outcomes. So let's take um, uh, conversion, for example. Um, you want to increase conversion. Well, you need to go out there and figure out, well, why, why are our users not converting? What's, what are the pain points? It's going to take a little bit of time and you need, that needs to be invested to actually figure out like, well, what, what are our challenges around conversion? You may find out that there's a very critical workflow um, uh, that users are, are falling off um, when, when they start to engage with it. So maybe a product outcome could be, 
how do we how do we reduce the time it takes and friction that it that uh, is there? That so how do we reduce the time that it takes to um, complete that workflow? Now that's something that a product team can work with. They can start to do. They can start to interview their customers, figure out like, well, how are you know importing data and all that stuff. Um, but you can work with it to figure out how to reduce that time. And reasonably, you should be able, you should believe that like, okay, if that workflow is um, optimized now, and we hit that product outcome, that should reasonably ladder up into your business outcome. Mm -hmm. Yep. Who, yeah, like who do you feel like is the right kind of like party or like level to be, do you think about it like, oh, you know, executives kind of talk about what the, what the important business outcomes are for the year and, and product teams think about, okay, what are the, like the product outcomes that are going to, that are certainly there's probably some amount of like a leap of faith you need to take that like these product outcomes will affect that business outcome. But like, do, do product teams determine what the right product outcomes are? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I see that play out very differently across multiple different mm. companies. So um, I'll, I'll share my take on this. <laughs> um, I wanna see product teams come up with and own the product outcomes. I think business teams prioritize the business ones, it makes sense, um, but you're, you know, the, the teams, the engineers, designers, and product managers, the lead, like the, the people that are out there in the weeds day to day, innovating on this product are going to be able to come up with those, like, uh, they're going to be able to not only identify and come up with better product outcomes, but they're going to, they're, they're the ones that are delivering on them. So if you can, if they can have ownership over those product outcomes, um, I, I think that's a very valuable way to, um, deliver on them. Gotcha. Yeah. How do you think about, there's kind of this, I forget who, it's one of those, you know, so-and-so's law, but there's this saying, oh, you know, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. Um, do you, do you think about that in terms of, I don't know, I just, you know, any part of this when you're setting outcomes, when you're thinking about this? Yeah. So, um, so I, it's, that's an interesting question. Um, one of the things I think about it, when some of these outcomes um, become valuable signals for the overall health of your product, um, that you could, I, like, I like to turn those into like health metrics or like heart, uh, heartbeat metrics. Um, mm. They're sometimes referred to. So, um, so like maybe it's like some type of engagement metric or something and you want to just keep your eye on it so that over time, like you, you kind of get a feel for where that engagement should normally be. And if you start to see some abnormal patterns, it's like, maybe this is time to look at it. That's something you can monitor long-term, but when it comes mm -hmm. to like innovating on new stuff, you're going to be setting new product outcomes, new business outcomes all the time. Um, a lot of mm -hmm. teams visit that quarterly, annually, et cetera. Right. Okay. Um, okay, cool. So let's kind of play forward. So we, we've set some goals and some metrics. How do we get from there to like what we actually want to build? Yeah. So, I mean, my favorite method is, is moving into uh, Teresa Torres's opportunity solution trees. Um, but it's, it's, you've defined your, your product outcome. So, you know, you know where you're headed. 
Now it's time to figure out how do we get there. So um, look at your data, look at your usage, talk to your customers, um, run experiments. Uh, as you start working through the opportunity space, the, the, whole, the problem and the solution start to become more clear. And it allows you to, um, you know, pragmatically walk your way towards better solutions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, we can, you know, the entire opportunity space is probably giant or infinite. Mm -hmm. Like you could do any number of things. The, it sounds like you're saying, oh, you know, you've set up these, you set up these outcomes and now let's, let's look at these opportunities that we think stem directly from these outcomes. Is, it, is that kind of how you think about it? Yeah, they, I mean, they, yeah, I think they directly come from the outcomes. A lot of teams will um, uh, create like experience maps or user journeys um, to, to mm -hmm. kind of lay out how they think about um, how the user gets from you know, using your product to obtaining that value that you create. Um, and then you start to find gaps and you, that's where you start. Like that's, this, I, I do this quite often, but then you start to figure out like where, where do we start asking questions to our users? You know, first of all, identify your research questions, but then, um, then start asking them your, their interview style questions um, mm -hmm. to, to uncover, you know, where you should head. Mm. Talk it's hard to talk to users that often. Like, why is that so important? Can't I just like survey people or why do I have to, you know, spend all that time of lining up customer calls, getting the whole team to like be there for them? Right, I think, I think the like simple surveys are great. And I think they, they help you um, identify um, some like critical information that you need, but uh, getting everybody together, like getting, um, you know, like your your engineering lead or your designer on a call with a customer helps them one sympathize with your customer and the pain points, um, but two, you hear it directly from them. You're you're hearing how they're talking about their challenges and their pain points, and a lots of amazing. I you get off the call and you're just really excited. Like you, 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 every time that we do this, like I get together with my co-founders and it's like, oh my gosh, did you hear that? Like, and you start going back and forth and, and that's where some of the best ideas. And then you start to uh, not only bet like ideas, but like, well, what do we want to learn next? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like those kind of questions start coming up. Um, you start thinking through like, well, we can test this or that. It's, it's being really agile and like, it's, it's fun. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Another thing, and I think, and I think um, the mom test book by Rob Fitzpatrick, which I haven't read, which is probably a cardinal sin for someone who works <laughs> in product. Um, there's always this, I think there's this idea that like, um, you know, when you ask people about their, you know, their behavior or what they find important, they, uh, um, they'll often answer in a way that. I don't know, reinforces like their identity or this or that, but like, it's easy for people when you're not asking about them, when you're not talking to them about a spe specific time they did something that they don't actually give you a truthful answer. They give you the answer that they think like sounds good or something they aspire to. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel bad because I'm trying to remember where this example came from, but I thought it was really good. It was either the mom test or continuous discovery habits, but 
um, you know, like you're interviewed like, well, hey, what do you what do you think about when you want to buy a pair of jeans? And if anybody knows on the call, please <laughs> speak up. But like, what do you what do you think about when you're buying a pair of jeans? What do you take into consideration? And some people might say, well, you know, fits the most important thing to me. And then they tell you like, okay, well, like you asked me, well, when's the last time you purchased a pair of jeans? It's like, oh, um, I went online and, and bought them offline. You're like, okay, well, you know, is fit fit the most important thing for you or not? Unless yeah. you like, know. If you're guess, buying them online, like how could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. how could that be the most important thing? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. So totally. No, that makes sense. I don't know. Um, do you, okay. So s since this is like, it, it truly is a lot of, a lot of time and effort coordinating customer interviews. Like, do you have any, any tips on, on just ways to make it easier? Um, yeah, I certainly think there are ways that you can make it easier. Also, I think that this is our job. <laughs> like we need to go out there and understand our customers we need to make create. We need to find ways to create space to do that within our businesses and our teams, so that we can learn more about what will solve their problems. Um, so, uh, interview automation is like one of the hot topics in the CDH space. Like, how do we automate our interviews? Some people embed links in their applications for calendars. Like, hey, sign up if you want to help us improve the experience, and you can set those up to like dynamically show up based on availability like that's a pretty automated mm -hmm. workflow right so mm -hmm. um you may say like okay well we want three in one week and that's our max and then once you get those three it closes just some quick tips mm -hmm. um on, mm -hmm. on doing this uh do not allow them to schedule really far out in advance you'll get more no-shows so try to keep it a really tight like tomorrow like in the next few days so mm -hmm. um this is a really easy way to like get users to re-engage with you that want to provide feedback and just set up a more natural cadence. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. It's one of those, it's tough, but it's like, you know, if you want to be a bodybuilder, like you got to get, you got to lift heavy weights everywhere, <laughs> every day. And it's like, this is the same thing. Like if you want to, if you want to be a PM and do a good job of like really knowing your customers, you, ju you just got to put in the reps and there's some things to, that there's some things you can do and some processes that can make it earlier, but like, it's the, it's the job. Um, it's the job. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. Okay. So you talked, tell me a little bit more about op opportunity solution trees. Like, what is that? You, you touched on it a little bit, but um, tell me a little bit more about like, how do you, how do you set that up? What does it look like? Yeah. So we talked about it, like the opportunity spaces is infinite. You'll hear that. So you have your product outcome or your outcome that you're trying to drive. And then you start to pull together the context to create a visual that helps you prioritize how you get to better solutions. So, or more valuable solutions, we'll say. So what you do is you start mapping it out. So you'll have some high level pain points that you're hearing or desires, you know, that you're hearing from your customers. You're going to get those in your map. And then you're going to start to ask. Uh, um, you're going to start to ask questions to your customers, pull more information, do some research to figure out how does that branch out, like to smaller problems or smaller pain points. And then, mm -hmm. as you start to do that, you start to create this map that gets you to a um, gets you to a certain point in which you can say, "Okay, I think we have enough information. We really understand this problem well. Now let's start coming up with ideas." Um, 
And those are your, you know, those are your solutions. Um, and then there's a lot of techniques to go from there to, you know, mapping assumptions and, and validating those, those assumptions and uh, running experiments. There's, there's lots to, there's a you know, a bit to it, but it's all about discovering better ideas, better solutions that are going to drive value and de-risking those before yeah. you spend a lot of time in engineering on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of begs the question. You, you know, we go through this process. We've kind of, we've come up with this with this big tree of opportunities that all you know funnel up to our outcomes. How do we then go about deciding, like, okay, like which ones do we do next? Which ones are most important? Like, how do I, how do I think about where to start once I have that whole thing? Yeah, so this is something I hear a lot. Um, it's like this thing's big. Like some of these trees, like yeah. they get, they get like 500, 600, We call them nodes in Vistly, but like they get really big, and it's just like whoa. Like what do we do? So I mean, we built a lot of like niceties into the way that our tr like tree works, so you can like fold, collapse, search, all that stuff. But I, you know, like the way that you do it is you start focusing on your most important opportunities. So you prioritize at a very high level. Um, you, you prioritize with your 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 uh, top level opportunities. You're not going to spend time with the opportunities that are are lower. Um, so don't don't focus on like further that. down further yeah. down the tree or further down in your tree like that are prioritized lower. But then you take another step closer to your solutions, and you keep focusing on the most important opportunities as you walk your way down. And then mm -hmm. one then as you start solving those opportunities. Um, now you have this mapped out tree. It's fantastic because then what you can do is go right back to the tree after you solve it. You don't have to like go back to the team and be like, all right, well, what's next? It's all mapped out. You know what the next most important opportunity is. Go from there mm -hmm. and like compare it. Like you start comparing parents and children like uh, opportunities and you start to really figure out like, well, actually this is more important. Not sure if he dropped or I did. Okay, I'm hearing it looks like Matt dropped. Um, Blake, can you hop on stage real quick and confirm? Sorry about that, everyone. Technical difficulties. Gotcha. Looks like got a couple of people saying Matt dropped, so we can wait a sec. Hey all, yeah, it looks like <laughs> Matt dropped. Maybe we'll uh maybe he'll be able to log back in here, but we can <laughs> yeah, Jake, we're not gonna be uh we're not gonna be dropping jokes, but appreciate that. Um any, <laughs> anyone else, you can use the uh I believe the hand raise emoji is to hover over yourself and hit the letter H. Anyone wanna jump on and talk through any of this right now? Like if anyone anyone who does PM work uh have have thoughts on this teddy you want to jump in um sure hi <laughs> so how's it going yeah hey teddy how's it going any what what comes to mind as we're talking through all this any anything in particular um the consistent touching base with customers i think is a amazing call out 
Um, I really like that Matt's talking about the uh, move toward automating that experience. It's something that has cost a lot in, in previous roles where we've had to do outreach. Um, uh, getting people to show up to those calls is like such a nightmare, um, particularly at a B2C company. Um, and, you know, he mentioned it's uh, uh, really tough to get people to show up if you're scheduling things out more than a few days in advance. I had exactly that experience. We would have really good uh, uh, turnouts for calls scheduled in the next day or two. And mm -hmm. we'd see our turnout rate drop by about 50% if we were scheduling more than three days in advance, particularly yep. if we were scheduling for the week after or later. Yeah. Um, so just like a really interesting and, and good nugget of information there. Um, and the, the bi-weekly calls with customers, it's not something that I've uh, personally done in the past, but it's something I absolutely want to strive for. That's being able to have that sort of pace where we can be um, learning from our customers and, and even potentially uh, others in the space every week, if we can do it twice a week, fantastic. Um, it's time commitment, but if we can automate that experience of scheduling, the time commitment actually is not as not nearly as significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I thought all that was really, you know, really good advice, especially around the automation, like the more parts of that mechanism you can automate. And I, I feel like the Nirvana state is just like, you're a PM or you're a PMM, and you just like have this consistent drumbeat of like customers showing up on your calendar. Um, and it all kind of happens be behind the scenes. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> um, but uh yeah, I, uh, I'm picturing Dave using his hop-in superpowers to put that on on stage right now. Um, I um, <laughs> I have found doing efforts like that, like one, the 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 struggle is sort of like improving the conversion rate from like your outreach <clears throat> to actual customers who want to get on a call and will book a call. And especially like if you're if you're a startup or you're like you don't have a huge customer base to begin with. You know, it can be tough to send 100 outreach emails and then only five, you know, five, 10 percent convert. Pretty soon you churn through your whole customer base. So any tips that you guys have found on just like improving the conversion of outreach to actually wanting to get on a call, uh, whether that's like an incentive or follow ups, stuff like that. One, one thing I would say um, is kind of meta, but for us, like this community has been, um, is I think an interesting strategy for a, kind of attacking that. If you can create a forum for the kinds of, the kinds of people that would be your customers that have the problem you solve, you can kind of create this pool of people that um, might be interested in, in talking about, you know, in doing these kinds of interviews. They might not yet be Customers, you might not really be able to ask them specifically about the product, but as a way to do discovery work, just more about the problem. Yeah. Anything you found, Teddy, on that? Yeah, I mean, it's not even just about creating the community and using it there, um, but I've seen a lot of successful outreach in communities that you're a part of. Um, I've participated mm -hmm. in outreach via this community. Um, 
-hmm. and I've had a lot of success reaching out in in some other communities that I'm a part of. And, and it's fantastic because they're already centered around the topic or the um, role or you know something that is relevant to what you're trying to do research on. And so you've already sort of whittled down into a um, uh, narrow view of of who you want to be talking to. Um, super helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you guys mind if I jump in here, Steve? Please. Let's Let's yeah, please. Uh, I'll pull my video up here too. You want to give us a, a quick intro too? I think maybe you told us at the beginning, but others might not know. I don't think I did, but yeah, my yeah. name's Ross. I, I work with a lot of people, helping them with their customer discovery efforts. And I work a lot with uh, small government contractors to help them identify where the thing they're making for the government can be applied elsewhere. So anyway, I wanted to throw in on that customer discovery conversation you guys were saying. One of the things I've definitely found is the, the goodwill aspect of it. Always be willing to do customer discovery as somebody that gets interviewed. That ends up creating a lot of goodwill momentum for you that uh, cannot be quantified. And then another thing, every single person you talk to, ask them to introduce you to three people. Oftentimes those three people will be outside of your existing customer base and, and help you kind of broaden the scope of your, of your efforts uh, right there on that call. And that can kind of line up some really great relevant calls uh, going forward. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Awesome kind of tried, and, tried and true sales tactic there for finding more more people exactly. to talk to and yeah, yeah love that. Thanks cool, okay, Matt. Us. I think we yeah, saved we uh, saved it with Matt, so <laughs> I'll jump off yeah. too. Thanks, thanks for jumping in and helping me out. I don't know. Yeah, my, my my mild panic attack can cease now. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, you're good. Don't worry about it. it. Happens happens all the time. Um, okay, what were we talking about? We were talking uh, a little bit about um, I think around like how, determining like which opportunities um, are the right ones you should tackle. Um, and you were kind of talking about, um, you know, ones up the tree are a little, are more important. Um, yeah, this is, this is one of those things that kind of strikes me as it's a little bit, it's kind of part art, part science. And like, you can use, you can use frameworks to help you like rice or this or that to kind of help you determine like which things you should start with. But I think ultimately, I mean, there is some amount of, yeah, of it just being, not super messy. scientific and yeah, it's a little, it's messy. It's hard to quantify like with a single number, like, but how painful is this to customers? Like there's some amount of like, there's some, there is some amount of intuition there, right? Yeah, I mean, the whole, I think one of the things you hear, um, Teresa Suarez talks about this and I love it. It's embrace the messiness. Um, the whole, this whole process of um, prioritizing and sorting the opportunity space, it's going to be messy. Um, it's going to be subjective and objective. There's going to be subjective and objective components to it. Um, you're going to, I mean, the thing is to like, you're going to pull in data. You're going to pull in quotes from customers. You're going to start to really learn like what you believe is going to be more impactful. Um, often there's not too many one-way door decisions here. Like you can pivot and you can pivot more effectively if you're mapping it out as well. Cause you can see, yeah. you can visually see the space. It's, it's easier to, um, um, it, it's, it's just easier to, to be more agile and be, you know, respond to things faster. Right. 
We're okay. We're we're bumping up on time. I want to do questions, but I wanted also because I think you were you were showing me Vistaly and how you it's a little meta, about how you guys use Vistaly to do this for Vistaly. Um, I think it does such a good job of really like painting a picture in people's head and kind of yeah. um, just making it more understandable. Yeah, if you want to, yeah, quickly share and show us what you got going on. Everything restarted, but let me yeah, let me share my screen and uh... yeah. Um, just do the quick example. So this is one that we've recently done. So this, um, we're in the middle of this right now. So this is our top level opportunity, right? So our, our outcome is about, uh, you know, collaboration, um, working in the opportunity space, making that more efficient for our users. And this is our top, one of our top opportunities right now. We want to, um, there's this like desire, like they want to be able to collaborate um, more effectively with their teams. Um, but what does that mean? You see, you start to break it down a little bit and you start to hear things like, I want to be aware, like I need to be aware of the changes that matter to me. Um, and I need to be able to get at that information fast. Um, and then also this like other component of like, I want to know when others expect me to like provide input. Um, these are all like opportunities. Um, I don't trust everyone to make edits on my board. Uh, there's this level of like trust, like things changing and moving around. I mean, we're here a lot. I'm still developing like, my own thoughts around that, but these are things we're hearing. Um, yeah, and it just goes on. You start to dig deeper. You got more opportunities. Um, <laughs> I love this one. Someone's like, I don't want to add uh, checking Vistaly on my list of things to do. Like, I'm like, love it right we got too much too much noise out there right there's too many things you got to monitor and check so they're expressing pain points around that like how do i how do you bring this closer to me so that i don't have to remember to go out and like mm -hmm. so we start to like look at solutions like email notifications slack in-app feature uh well yeah there, there's just a bunch of things that we're exploring here around how to yeah. solve pain point but let's say we solve this one effectively now it's like all right when i'm saying like you just come back into the opportunity space and you look at neighbors you look at parents like do we focus on this one next do we focus on this one maybe it's like okay solving mm -hmm. this opportunity solves for this parent well enough so maybe now we move on to this one so it's right. all about just going back and reflecting on what you've learned and iterating and slowly chipping away at those opportunities so that you eventually reach your outcome, like your goals. Right. And the thing I love is that like this, this one, the thing that a lot of people do is like, they might hear this um, and they'll think, cool, what is the, you know, they'll build what's the first thing that comes to mind when I, when I yeah. hear about this, instead of like talking to more customers, digging in, <laughs> like, Dave, uh, dig, like digging in further. And you realize like, oh no, there's, there's more to this than, uh, than just that first idea or just that first thing that the customer said that they wanted. Um, and when you can kind of, when you can map down to these, well, this opportunity is actually, it's part A, B, and C, which each in turn could have, you know, X, Y, Z solution. You can then, you can then, instead of thinking like, hey, do I want to build this thing that the customer said they wanted? You can compare and contrast like all of these possible things that funnel up to that. Um, and I think it just leads to much more, just much better product decisions. Um, you focus on the more impactful work. Um, and then just to kind of give people 
um, a glimpse into kind of how this bubbles up. You know, a lot of what we're talking about is we want to see how our work ultimately bubbles up to like our, um, the outcomes we want to have and like uh, ultimately affects our strategy. Um, as you like kind of go left on the screen, you can kind of show people like that outcome that you started with bubbles up to some of your, um, you know, some of your like higher level goals of which this opportunity is just like a part of. Right. Eventually you're going to solve this high level opportunity and you may not even get to addressing everything in this space, right? The goal is to solve for the opportunities quickly and, mm -hmm. you know, continuously check back in and monitor your key results or your outcomes, see how they're progressing. Move on when yep. it's time to move on. <laughs> yep, for sure. Okay, Blake is going to start dropping a couple questions in here. Uh, I'll read them out and you can answer them. So this is from Teddy. I've seen endless discussions to set yearly OKRs, only to have everyone forget about them during the year until it's time to evaluate um, how close the team came to hitting them. What are, what are the best, how are the best teams staying aligned and focused on OKRs throughout the year? Yeah, so um, that's that's something that I hear quite often with um, setting and forgetting, right? So we just go through the the process of setting our OKRs for the sake of doing it, and then um, not really leverage it throughout the year. Um, and it's it's kind of challenging, right? Because things come up. There's always fires. There's always like operational work that that comes up. So teams tend to get distracted. I mean, if you have too many OKRs, that could be a sign of like setting and forgetting because you're like, I, whatever, I'm just going to go focus on the most important thing. Maybe like narrowing those down, trying to create focus. But I, the way to do this here is to can, you need to figure out what matters for you, what, like which metrics really matter, monitor them. What are we doing? Um, what are we doing every week? Take a look at like, what are we doing this week to improve that? Um, what are we doing? What are we planning in the near term, like really near term, like next week mm -hmm. to do uh, to help improve that? Um, how does the team feel about it? Like, that's another thing, too. Like, what is the sentiment around us hitting that? Like monitoring that over time, I think, is valuable. Um, but, yeah, so it's got you got to build it in to your like it's got to be part of your process and keep it continuous. Um, yes. Instead of, yeah, there's that like set it forget it yeah. mentality right yeah i like i think execs should be talking about this on a i don't know call it quarterly basis but like but this this isn't something that just like the execs should force on product teams this is something that product teams should embrace and like when product teams are demoing like you know when they're demoing things weekly they should be talking about like here's what we're building and and remember here's how it do 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 layers back up to our okrs um and i think yeah, by doing that and getting that kind of like weekly repetition reference to the overall goals, you can, yeah, it just kind of, you build that muscle as an organization around keeping those things top of mind. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, cool. Jake asks, any thought on how to handle these kinds of surveys and interviews in the super early days? Uh, when you have that, uh, when you may not have a big user base, um, this is something we struggled with in the early days. Yeah, so I mean, this is where we're at. I think we're early days, um, and you know, gaining traction, which is so exciting. Um, but yeah, finding those users. Um, I also, just had a conversation about this the other day. I mean, there's there's techniques out there for finding them and talking to them. Um, 
it's a lot easier to talk to people when uh, you, you're talking about their problems and pain points. People are pretty receptive to wanting to just talk about that. If you're trying to sell them mm -hmm. something. It's a different story. Um, but uh, yeah, just talking to them about their like their problems and, and how like they see it really starts to open doors and um, like to understanding the problem, but then start to build a better picture towards like, what are the right solutions for this? Um, I per I'll just share a little tactical thing. Like I love Slack. Uh, there's tons of Slack communities out there. I love yours. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it, they're great places to find people who care about certain topics. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, it, I like, yep. I like, communities. yeah, yeah. For sure, we we touched on this a little bit when your internet dropped, but yeah, I brought that up. Um, communities are great, like Launch Awesome. You know, there's tons of PMs and PMMs in Launch Awesome. Uh, everyone's usually like pretty generous with their time, so just joining the community and reaching out when you need help or you have a question. Um, yeah, it's a great way to get um, volunteers for that kind of thing. Cool. Okay, there's been a lot of discussion about the Spotify Squad framework over the past few years. Have you had any experiment, any experience with this framework? Any significant drawbacks that you've seen or experienced? Um, well, so I love this. So yes, uh, was it squads and tribes? And um, I love uh, the idea behind it of creating more empowerment for your your team that's like closer to your problems to be able to make decisions, learn, and use the tools that they need to to get the job done figure it out like that that's the part that i latch on to and i love um uh what there's it's called uh there's this company called uh corporate rebels uh, that i really like they do a lot of research and uh discovery around modern ways to structure organizations and hmm. like i would say spotify squad model definitely fits into that um like like micro enterprises um, treating parts of your organization like startups. The challenge there is how do you connect? Like, how do you cross pollinate? How do you connect? Uh, make sure that you don't have a lot of conflict. Um, right. I think mm -hmm. Spotify uses tribes to, to help with that. Um, uh, but ultimately, it's it's you're create you're creating an empowerment framework that allows your teams to be um, make decisions and move faster and learn quicker. So I, I love it. Yep. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Last one here. Um, I've heard vastly differing opinions on whether or not product teams should choose and then firmly stick with a single product strategy or mix and match different components of various strategies as needed until they find something hybrid that works well. Do you have a strong opinion on this? <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, well, yeah. So having the strategy, communicating it and making it clear, I think is the first step there. Um, strategy or strategies, uh, as they change, if, if, I think that iterating on anything is just the way to go. When it, it comes to the opportunity space, your key results, like never box, why box yourself into any corner ever um, and just do things for the sake of doing them. Um, so when it comes to strategy, like I think as you move further left, there's more risk involved with adjusting things. Uh, so like just dramatically adjusting your product strategy is pretty risky. Um, you probably want a good reason for doing it. 
Um, but you should be able to iterate and tweak on it. You should be able to pull the pieces that you need to strengthen it, develop uh, more leverage. Um, you know, you know I, I love like that part of strategy where it's like, it, it should help you, uh, it should enable you, but it should also remove distractions. So it's like just as much what you do as what you don't do. Um, so yes. figure out how yep. to like get that right. Mm -hmm. Cool, okay. Well, thanks. Love that. Um, all right. I think that's all we got time for today. So just want to say thanks to Matt one more time. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thanks to everyone that came out for joining and sharing your questions. Uh, a couple of reminders. Uh, so these events are part of the Launch Awesome community. Uh, Blake's going to drop a link in the chat again. Um, we'd love to have you come out and uh, you can hear about future events and just kind of participate in some of the other things that we do in the community, one of which is uh, we do weekly office hours uh, every week at, at I want to say, 2 p.m. Eastern. Um, so if you, any questions you have, if you're, if you got a launch coming up and you want to run something by us or get some, get some feedback on anything, like that's what we're there for. We're there to just kind of um, shoot the shit, hang out, talk about product management, product marketing, and help out with whatever we can. Um, cool. And with that, Matt, thanks again. Uh, where can folks uh, find find you online and connect? <laughs> um, I can drop my LinkedIn if you're interested in connecting. I'm, I'm more active there. I want to get active on Twitter. Mm -hmm. so if you've got some tips and tricks for me, please send them my way. <laughs> okay, um, will do. But uh, yeah, here, I'll drop that there. And uh, Vitsly.com, that's what we're building. If you want to come check us out. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, thanks for doing this. This is a ton of fun. Always love uh, chatting with you. And with that, we'll wrap. Bye, everyone. Hey, Blake here again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you work on a product team, whether you're in product management, product marketing, product ops, or any other supporting function, go check out the Launch Awesome community. Hundreds of the top product minds from companies like Google, Atlassian, Twilio, and more are in the community sharing their expertise every day. This free Slack community is a great place to connect with and learn from real product leaders, actual practitioners who are in the trenches building and launching products at some of the most exciting startups and SaaS companies around. To join, head to the link in the show notes or just do a quick search for Launch Awesome and it'll come right up. Finally, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe so you'll be first to know about new episodes and of course, we'd be thrilled if you left us a review. Reviews not only help other people find the show, but also just lets us know which content you find most valuable so we can create even more of it. Thanks again for being here.